Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims, and you might be wondering what's going on with my voice. All will be revealed in just a short while. But first, let's switch it up. I'd like to give a shout out to our presenting sponsors of VUX World, Deepgram and Symbol AI. Deepgram is one of the leading automatic speech recognition providers out there. It is fantastic technology. If you're building voice bots, if you're building anything to do with voice assistance, or even if you want to do speech to text transcriptions, Deepgram is the place to go. It's got immense speed, incredible accuracy, and rarely, compared to others out there in the market, you can actually retrain the Deepgram speech recognition models to become more accurate on your specific industry or domain. Something that is overlooked often when it comes to the creation of voice bots, but once you hit that wall and you can't get any more accuracy out of it, you will soon find that retraining speech recognition models leads to dramatically better data being fed into your NLU, which means better customer experience. To learn more, visit deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. That is deepgram.com forward slash V-U-X world. Let's switch it up again. Shout out to Symbol AI, our second presenting sponsor of VUX World. Symbol AI makes it super simple for you to implement literally the world's leading and bleeding edge conversational intelligence technologies. There is data within conversations that you're having with customers or even internally within your business or within the usage of your product or services. There is data within those conversations that you can use to extract some extremely important analysis and insights from. And that's what Symbol AI enables you to do. From outbound calls that basically detect the sound of a voicemail that can then automatically leave a message after the beep, which is notoriously difficult to do, or recognizing when somebody answers and automatically forwarding that call to a human to be answered, that's the kind of stuff that Symbol AI can do. Symbol AI, with the technology, you can build your own agent assist capabilities and be able to serve call center agents with next best actions and things like that. Really super simple. You can do things like uh, call analysis, you can do intent detection, you can do call summarization, speaker diarization the, the possibilities are absolutely endless and you're only limited by your imagination. For more information, visit deep, uh, sorry, symbol.ai, S-Y-M-B-L dot A-I, that's symbol.ai. Uh, for more information, it is, it, honestly, you will not regret checking symbol out. Uh, okay, now. Let's switch it up again. <laughs> I'd like to introduce this week's guest, Alex Sediuk of Respeacher. You might have guessed by now, this voice, this technology is what Respeacher does. It is bleeding edge speech synthesis technology. A lot of you that listen to this will be familiar with text-to-speech. You'll be familiar with some of the frailties and limitations of text-to-speech. And you'll probably know, especially if you're listening to the podcast and you're not watching this video being distracted by all the bright yellow that's kicking around on your screen, you will know that speech technology, speech synthesis technology, you can usually discern it. You can usually pick out a, a synthesized voice compared to a real human voice. With Respeacher, you'll probably notice that the lines are beginning to get a little bit blurred. This technology has been used in Star Wars. It's been used in a whole bunch of top flight productions. It's used throughout gaming's, uh, the gaming industry. The use cases are absolutely, you know, never ending. And we're going to be getting into 
this technology, how it works, how it can be used, and what the future of this this unbelievable technology is. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alex Sediuk onto VUX World. Alex. Welcome. Hey there. Hey. <laughs> how good is that? That is Thank you so much for having me. No worries. No, thank you so much for, for well, one, put, for putting that together, and two, for even joining us. I know that we're, we've been fairly animated in that video, which was, of course, recorded a while back. Things have changed dramatically since then, uh, especially or, or particularly in, in Ukraine, where you currently are uh, at the moment. So thank you one for for doing this i've said that we didn't have to do this you you were you were uh you know still still kind of keen to do it so thank you for for joining us and uh yeah um yeah thanks for joining us at a time when it is not not great where you are right now yeah yeah the things are not great though ukraine is extremely united and gives a very good response uh to what happens but what happens is crime crime against humanity and we mm -hmm. should we should keep thinking about that from inside and outside the uh, outside ukraine um i'm currently in western ukraine uh, our team we have 35 people in uh, respecture uh, they're spread around the country uh, we have folks in kiev that's currently under missiles attacks we have people in lviv we have people in where i am uh, and some folks uh, got abroad, and some some part of the team is actually foreigners. Um, we have an ask for international community. Uh, Ukraine fights in Ukraine extremely strong, uh, but we are strong on ground, and we know how to respond to this. Uh, but our sky is not protected enough, and that's the way how those uh, that country, how Russia uh, kills are innocent people. So if you guys can influence your local authorities, if you can can join protests and just tell everybody around that Ukraine asks for closing the sky because we don't have enough protection from the, those missiles that they just being directed to our cities, to civilian buildings, uh, that's something we urgently need now. Uh, otherwise, uh, we really appreciate for the whole support we are receiving from the uh, outside of Ukraine. Um, and we, we changed the world now. And, and thank you for being on our side. Mm, definitely. I think the whole world is is on Ukraine's side. You know, I think there's definitely some political things going on as to why other countries haven't got involved yet. Who knows why that is? But um I think the whole world is definitely on Ukraine's side and it is an absolute barbaric situation to be in with that kind of megalomaniac, egotistical, you know, you can't even, words don't even describe the the person who is kind of, you know, at the at the kind of end of all of this kind of stuff. It's absolutely ridiculous. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely full support coming from over here. And, and hopefully this message is getting out to people who can, who can influence and, and all that kind of stuff. And please do, you know, the, the, the part of the podcasts that get listened to the most is the first kind of 10 minutes typically. And so for those that are tuning in, which is likely to be most of you, whether it's on the podcast or the, um, the, uh, 
LinkedIn and, and YouTube. Usually, uh, very rarely, in fact, never do I say, please share these episodes and please share it with whoever you might find it useful. But I think this time is there is definitely a reason for you to share that. I think your message there, Alex, is is a an incredibly important one. So if you if you are tuning in, please do share this message and uh, yeah um, yeah uh, full support from this side. And hopefully, it can all be brought to an end, you know, sooner rather than later. Because it's uh, as you said, it's it is a crime, absolute crime on humanity, and, and it needs to be sorted. Thank you, Ken. We, we'll we'll talk respeecher. Maybe maybe switching topics and uh, for for a very brief moment in time might give us a bit of escapism from from the absolute you know terror that Putin is is involved in at the moment over there. Um, so maybe maybe uh, if if we can uh, very briefly take a trip into some kind of temporary escapism, it might be uh, it might be worth trying at least. Um, so so. And, and again, thank you for 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 being here, and thank you for 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 cracking on. Uh, for those that don't know, Respeecher, that intro in the beginning there was basically says all the all all you need to know about the, what what the technology is and how it works, I suppose. But for those that are not familiar, who maybe's missed that beginning piece, tell us a little bit about Respeecher and and what Respeecher does. Yeah, of course. So basically, we developed the technology that lets one voice sound exactly like another voice. And it's very different from uh, the majority of synthetic speech technologies in the market. Uh, We work in acoustic domains, so we enable a human to speak in the voice of another particular human, while the majority of technologies in the market would be text-to-speech that uses text input and then produces sound based on the text input. And text-to-speech technologies, they have few holistic limitations, uh, which we overcome with our technology. The, we call it speech-to-speech. Um, the first limitation would be um, being very tight to language models. So for text-to-speech, it's uh, quite hard to produce something that is not in vocabulary, for example, or uh, something that's, uh, that does not have a very strong language corpus uh, for some particular languages. Uh, and another even bigger theme would be control over performance, control over emotion. So you can make text-to-speech sound sad or excited, but that's it. Uh, so when we started more than four years ago, our goal was to make synthetic speech on that level where it would cut it for uh, the most demanding um, sound people in Hollywood. So we wanted synthetic speech to be on a big screen. Um, and therefore, we chose the speech-to-speech path because it allows a human to perform to whatever extent performance is needed, and the performance could be guided by the director of the movie. Uh, and the technology task would be just change the voice to a desired voice, to the voice that is needed for a particular piece. So currently, our technology allows you to speak, uh, to sing, to whisper, to cry, to, to do different things with your voice. And then while applying our tool or our technology on top of your speech, um, it would convey all the emotions. Uh, it would just change the timbre of the voice and what we're proud of, how good it sounds. Uh, you might have heard us in several Hollywood movies. Uh, the first movie was released in 2019. Um, you might have heard us in Mandalorian where we did the voice of young Luke Skywalker. We were also credited in the book of Boba Fett. 
uh, in the episode six just recently. Uh, we did Vince Lombardi piece, uh, and if your audience has Americans, uh, you guys might have seen Vince Lombardi in 2021 uh, on the Super Bowl opening. Uh, that was quite quite big project. Um, so currently we work with studios, with different types of content creators, but also we have another stream of business where small creators can use the tool to uh, bring the quality of the content they produce to the next level. So they are no longer limited to budgets when they need to hire 20 voice actors and they can't. They can just use a tool, hire one voice actor and do a voiceover that would be compatible to what big studios do. Mm, interesting. And for those for those ones who are kind of trying to, you know, sit, create 20 different voices from one voice actor, where are they going to get those 20 voices from? Is it a bank of voices that you already have? Is it voices that you are always creating all the time? Is it bespoke voice creation? Like where, where do the, where do the voices come from? Yeah. So basically we have, as I said, two main business streams and the first stream would be our services to studios. When studios need to introduce a particular voice, say Vince Lombardi voice, in order to enable someone else to speak in that voice. And that goes through our team. We need to check permissions and stuff, so you cannot use it right away. Uh, the thing that was used for the opening of, uh, of this podcast uh, was Voice Marketplace. And Voice Marketplace is a tool. You can find it on our website, and it would allow you to record your lines and get those lines converted into 50 plus different voices. And those would be not just human voices. We also have cats, dogs, and some, some funny sounds, uh, which could be very usable for sound post-production. Uh, those voices uh, are copyright free. Uh, they actually belong to people. So we recorded uh, real people for them. We anonymized them um, and they belong to average people and uh, you can you can use it for for the content you're creating interesting interesting it's it's i can't like yeah i don't even know where to start because it's so it's so crazy um let's start with the studio so you so you won an emmy for the work that you did with nixon and tell us a bit more about about that use case and how how that come about and what your involvement was yeah, of course. It was a great project back in 2019. Uh, we connected with MIT people uh, that had this very cool idea of creating a piece of alternative history using the most modern uh, synthetic uh, media technologies. And they had an amazing idea. They wanted to make Nixon say the speech that was written in case if Apollo 11 mission would go wrong. Uh, the speech uh, is extremely powerful, but it never was said because uh, Apollo 11 mission was a success. Uh, so it stayed in archives for years. Uh, our involvement was to do the voice, basically. That's what we used to do in our, all our projects. Uh, the, projects the project was a while back, so when we listened to the sound in this project, we uh, still feel a bit a bit bad about that. We <laughs> teach them to redo the project now because we can make it sound way better. Another technology company that participated in this piece was Kiny AI. Uh, their technology 
enables uh, an existing footage to move lips according to lips movement of another actor to another footage. Uh, right. So you can you can see it on moondisaster.org. Um, and just recently, uh, in September 2021, it won an Emmy Awards, and Rhys Fisher is also eligible for Emmys. Um, and if I were in Kiev in my office, you would see them behind me. So, so where do you get the data from to do that? Where, do you, where was it? Did you have to go trawling through old footage of Nixon? Like, is that how it's? Is that the basis for it all? Look, usually when we need to do resurrection or de-aging projects, uh, we ask our clients uh, to get us as much data, as clean data as they can. So they actually went to Nixon Library, they talked to Nixon Library and got archival footage and archival materials, recordings of Nixon, uh, which we had to process very hard because this data was quite old. and in general, our models work like that. So you need to get material for a target speaker and President Nixon would be a target speaker. Uh, and then you train the, this deep neural net in order to enable um, model uh, to convert from other speaker into Nixon's voice. And that stage was extremely long in that project. It took us several months to get get it actually done, though we had way more complicated technology and we required way more complicated data sets. Now we can do way better job with way less data. <laughs> nice. So what so that that seems to be the process is then you take data that so ideally clean sounding data, which must be difficult when you're working with, you know, like Nixon, what was that? Forties from the sixties, is it? Is that when it's from? Yeah. Yeah, so so probably bad audio anyway, you know, and stuff like that. And same thing, I suppose, in the Star Wars example, where Luke Skywalker, um, to bring the voice of a young Luke Skywalker back, you're looking at footage from the 70s and stuff like that. I suppose it's probably movie footage, so it's probably going to sound a bit better. But I wonder whether you can walk us through that kind of um, the process. Once you've got hold of the data that you require, what are the kind of steps that and obviously don't reveal any secret sauce, which you're not going to do anyway, but like, what, what's the sort of, what's the general process from getting hold of some data to making it available for someone just to speak and have it be reproduced? Yeah, it even starts with, not with data, but with permission. So we need to have permission for a target voice in order to replicate this voice or from their representatives, estate or uh, family, if they are deceased. Um, in case of like de-aging projects, uh, when we or resurrection projects, when we need to get data from past, uh, we we ask our clients to send us uh, as clean data as possible uh, and as homogeneous data as possible. That means like a long recording of uh, say President Nixon speaking, uh, where there is no background noise and no other voices would do. Uh, then once we get all the assets, we evaluate those assets and we talk to our client, to a studio, uh, to build the right expectations because you cannot build absolutely great sound from very old recordings. Um, 
Once we are on the same page, we start pre-processing the data. And that means that we do some uh, work um, that would enable our models treat this data in the best possible way. Uh, so it would produce the most optimal result. And this work uh, could take just a few hours if it's a very simple project. But if you talk about data that was recorded, say, 40 years ago, uh, it could take longer. Um, then after the data is prepared, so we have tracks uh, that pre-processed for our models, uh, we put it in, into our heavy deep neural net uh, that is designed to basically understand the voice. So it does all those millions of computations and it takes some time. We usually take two weeks to train the model uh, on a new voice when we introduce the voice to the system. But once the training is done, uh, we do some tests. Uh, we convert from the material we need to convert uh, from new, new lines from a source speakers. Uh, and uh, then, depending on client's feedback, we can adjust our model. So we have some flexibility in terms of recording conditions, in terms of audio quality, even in terms of some creative things. So we can, we can apply some, some interesting tricks to meet some creative expectations for our clients. And then, depending on the complexity of the project, uh, we basically deliver those conversions. If data is perfect, if we don't need to worry about quality of the audio, in many cases, our team involvement would end after we train the model. So we can give our client a tool or we can give an API uh, where they can basically convert the sound they need to convert themselves. And the tool would provide a very similar result to what we are doing manually. Uh, but when data is challenging, and most of our projects has been with challenging data, we have to be very deeply involved. And we have uh, unique expertise at Respeacher. Uh, our delivery team is uh, consists of uh, very cool sound professionals that also know how our models work and how they react to different things. Uh, so they can provide a unique white glow services for studios. Mm, mm, interesting. What What are some of them? Is Is the predominant challenge around the audio quality that you get given initially, or is there other challenges that different audio types present to to the model when you're trying to change things? Like, what's the biggest, or is it license? What's also like the biggest challenge for you usually? It's actually both. Uh, I mean, it all depends on what output uh, is expected by my client. Uh, we had to work for years to bring our technology on that level of quality of the sound. But that's not just sound itself. Uh, it's also a lot of different things uh, that, that would make the system usable for different types of content creators. Uh, so we had to work hard on making emotional range wide. Uh, say a year ago, our models were not able to sing at all. So they used to work with small short phonemes. Uh, but now we can do very decent singing. And we actually have some project when we can enable a singer to speak in the voice of another uh, singing, singer. And that's amazing. We had problems with accents. And now that those problems has been eliminated, we had to train our system for longer in order to get results. We required our even more of target speech. And now we need less data to produce the same result. And in some of our projects, we 
uh, had only like two to five minutes of target speech and we still were able to do that. Another huge challenge for our team, the technical challenge that we managed to solve previous year would be robustness. Uh, so our models always used to make mistakes and that, that would be like phonetic errors. Uh, so like, like some number of the lines you produce would have those phonetic errors. Uh, and that might be not a big issue for film production, right? You still record many takes for a single line. Uh, but for many other uh, applications and for long form content, like for audio book, it wouldn't do because um, you, you cannot allow um, mistakes in, in a long form content uh, conversion. Uh, so we solved this issue and now uh, we have the system that's capable of working without doing those uh, phonetic errors. And we now enter the long form content market and we have e even delivered several projects when we had a long piece of content and a very short time to deliver the result. A good example would be a project in Puerto Rico we did this summer uh, where we had to voice over the whole basketball game in the voice of very famous football, basketball commentator uh, who died 20 years ago, but he's the voice of basketball in Puerto Rico. And we had just one night to do that. Uh, someone else recorded the whole commenting part on the whole game, uh, and we delivered results in four or five hours. And the next day it was on, on Telemundo, so it was on a big screen, uh, and that was quite, quite a proof for us internally that we finally can do uh, what we call reliable, long form, fast voice conversion. Wow, wow. Because long form is, 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 a, is a massive problem because I mean, anyone who's had, you know, like for example, Pocket, I know I've used this a few times. So Pocket, you can save articles to it and then it will read you them back later. And you just can't help but zone out it's in the middle of reading it and then all of a sudden you're just, your concentration will drift and you, you know, and, and TTS does that, doesn't it? It's really bad at long form because I suppose it's a bit like my voice, to be honest, my voice doesn't tend to go up and down much. It's very monotone in the middle, <laughs> which is why most, but that might be why most people tune into the beginning of the podcast. I might bore them, uh, but, um, but the TTS is historically bad at being like engaging isn't it? Is that kind of the, the, one of the kind of things that, that Respeacher is, is getting around in that basically you're not relying on a standardized model that delivers a standardized tone throughout. It's basically down to the performer, isn't it? To... Yeah, of course. We heavily rely on humans and that allows our technology to produce content that would be of higher, um, I would say quality, but it might not be fair enough. Uh, it, it would be just different type of content. So you wouldn't put um, text to speech in a very good high quality audio book because text to speech has those robotic sounds and stuff, even though it becomes better. But on the other end, uh, you wouldn't make text to speech deliver all those emotions that a professional voice actor can deliver or a human being in general can deliver. So if you imagine a very complicated text-to-speech system that would have a lot of controls over different emotions and different things related to emotions and performance, it wouldn't be usable because uh, the vocal apparatus we were born with, it, it has 
thousands uh, of, of those controls. And it's just easier to say. Uh, and what the beauty of our approach that we basically allow all this performance part to be on a human being. And uh, voice actors, they, they could do amazing job in terms of delivering, in terms of uh, being guided how to deliver a piece of content. Uh, the thing is, we DTH uh, them from their voice. So basically, we can scale voice actors, we can um, enable a very high demand voice to be driven by many different voice actors. And that's, that reshapes the industry of voiceover but it's still an industry of voiceover when we talk about speech-to-speech technology like ours. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of voice actors I've spoke to over the years who kind of, some a bit paranoid, some really opportunistic, looking at the world of synthetic voices and, and one half is like, oh, this is like a you know a danger for my job kind of thing. And the other half is like, this is a real opportunity for me to embrace technology and be able to scale my voice output and stuff like that. Um and so I suppose what this does is that, because some of them are, are, the conversations I've had in the past with some voice actors has been around trying to trying to turn their voice into a synthesized kind of voice and license that out and stuff like that. But then you've got that quality situation right now. So it seems as though, if anything, this this technology could bring about a real positive future for voice actors because you know some voice actors are really really good voice actors. But you're not going to be able, like a man can't speak like a woman and a woman can't speak like a man, not not convincingly over the duration of like a film, for example. And so it gives, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, what I'm saying, well, I suppose what I'm saying is that it gives voice actors flexibility to be able to stay doing their craft, but be able to still scale themselves into, in, in a different way, basically, isn't it? Exactly. Spot on, Kane. Um, I mean, I, I used to talk to voice actors. I talk to voice actors like, from the very beginning and say two years ago, uh, nine of 10 voice actors uh, we spoke to, they were afraid of technology. They didn't like the technology as the idea, as the concept. And they thought that technology like ours would steal their jobs. Now, when we speak to voice actors, nine of 10 of them would be up to try it at least. And once they tried it, they see all those opportunities that technology brings. Because again, the technology does not remove them from equation. Uh, it might seem so in text-to-speech, but text-to-speech is limited in terms of performance and stuff. Good voice actors are still needed. And given the amount of content that's being produced and the trajectory of growing all that content, uh, there would be a need for more voice actors, basically. Um, we recently did a very good podcast with Engan Gutsa, who uh, is quite famous in voice actors field. I would encourage your listeners to, to listen to that podcast. We spoke a lot, and then we did some interesting demos with Anne. Uh, but basically what uh, technology would allow to voice actors, it would allow them to not be limited to their vocal timbre. So they can perform in very different styles, but they are being hired, not just because of their ability to perform as a professional voice actor, but also because of the timbre they have. And now they can speak in very different gender, in very different age, in say 50 different timbres we have on the voice marketplace, and it opens the whole new world for them. But uh, we should also think about uh, security for them um, in terms of keeping the voice they 
had and they used, say, 20 years ago still available for them. So if you're a voice actor, your voice is also being changed over time, like all the human voices. And in many cases, you cannot just perform uh, in the voice you had 20 years ago. Uh, but the technology itself would allow that. And then when we think further, um, technology would enable to scale them. It would enable to DTH a particular voice actor's professional voice that is tied to many different projects and they might not have enough time to cover all these projects. Uh, and it can deattach their voice and give it to other performance. And that means that uh, the technology would bring them opportunity for passive income uh, where they can get royalties for their voice to be used. And that's not, not new to the market. Text-to-speech companies already doing that for, for quite some time. Uh, and voice actors give their voices to text-to-speech and uh, uh, it works. Uh, it's, it's just a different type of business when someone else uh, would be driving the voice. And the thing, thing we should be uh, very careful about, uh, like everything we do at Respeacher, um, is how we would build those two more layers, say in the voice marketplace, where voice actors would be able to provide their voice to the voice marketplace. And one important layer would be compensation, obviously. So... Uh, they need to be fairly compensated and we see it as a transactional business for, for them. Uh, but another even more important and more complicated layer would be control. Uh, so they should be able to have control over what content or what content makers uh, are using their voice for. Um, and it's not that easy. Uh, that's why uh, now we collect a group of beta voice actors we want to work with when we launch a full-blown voice marketplace at Respeacher. Uh, and we want to build those two layers together because we need their feedback from the very beginning. Uh, we need to understand what they're up to in terms of giving control of, uh, of their voice to other people in the system. And there could be very, very different scenarios. So someone can say that I'm fine if this particular studio uses my voice or whatever they do, I trust this studio, they do a great job. Uh, some people can say, I don't want my voice to be used in the advertisement of cigarettes or, uh, or alcohol. Some people can, can have other thoughts. And it's not like, like just, just a red line you, you can easily draw. It would be a whole new system, a whole new layer in the system. We have to build uh, very, very cautiously. Interesting. So the voice marketplace is exactly that then. I, I thought at the very beginning when you talked about the voice marketplace, I was thinking it was like a little bit kind of like almost like like a hobbyist kind of thing. Like if I'm an indie developer and I just want to choose a quick voice, but actually the voice marketplace could be, and it sounds that that's correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like this is what you're describing, an online marketplace where game studios, production studios, animators, all of these different places can go to find high quality voice talent that they can essentially pay for and then have one of their other, maybe either junior voice actors or somebody else that doesn't have the right tone of voice but's got good delivery do the actual performance. Is that, is that what you're saying? A, a, a centralized marketplace for all voice talent for all use cases? Correct. I mean, the voice marketplace is a living thing. It took us some time to bring into the market, to rob this very heavy technology we used to operate manually into something that would be a self-serve tool. Uh, 
but now it's on the stage where it's it's appreciated by three types of users. The first type would be content makers, like small indie game developers, animation creators, uh, all those people who cannot hire many voice actors for the piece they develop, uh, and they could really benefit from just having 50 voices in their acquaintance. Uh, another, the second category would be professional sound engineers, uh, sound supervisors, sound mixers. Uh, when they do post-production in their movies, uh, in, in, in animation pieces, in video games, uh, they often need some, some like random characters, random voices. Uh, and instead of uh, putting a quite complicated loop group together, get an actor to the studio to say just one word, hello or something, they can use voice marketplace. Or if they need to make a dog bark, in their movie, they now can use our voice marketplace for that too. They can bark in the microphone and the barking they would get in the output would be uh, a natural dog barking. Uh, And that's way easier than spend hours trying to get different assets of dog of particular breed to barking and try to mix them uh, in their piece. And the third category of users of the voice marketplace would be voice actors because now they see that uh, they're not limited to their timber. They can perform in different timber um, and they can deliver different jobs. They can voiceover not an audio book, but do a whole audio drama while assigning different characters, different voices in audio book, for example. But that's just one edge of uh, how cooperation with voice actors would be built. Now it's very one-sided, so they are just users of our system. But what I told before that uh, in future we see uh, developing our voice marketplace to what we call a full-blown wa- version where voice actors would be also able to provide their voices on the platform and their voices could be used on the platform, but also they could get some additional jobs on the platform because we, we have demand. We have content makers that need need professional actors. Interesting. That's really interesting. And it's a fair way of of kind of like allowing access so you've got it's like it's a good marketplace model because half of the problem with with i suppose voice actors is is finding the client whereas that's kind of what you're bringing there and the second problem is actually digitizing their voice to make it scalable and i know some other voice actors who've kind of gone to you know some of the tts providers and actually it's it's financially um night like not worth the investment at the time. So I think it costs a lot of money to create a TTS voice of your voice. I don't know whether like it sounds as though you've got, as you, you mentioned the word heavy technology and a two week training timescale and stuff like that. It sounds as though re-speecher is quite a process. How would it compare? You don't necessarily have to give pricing, but how is it comparing to the creation of a TTS voice, for example, in terms of pricing for a voice actor? I mean, TTSs are very different. Uh, and there are some like boutique TTS systems that would be comparable in terms of efforts and resources that are needed to be put together to bring a new voice. And there are some TTSs that you can use quite quite easy and fast. So it, it really depends on, on TTS. Uh, but the thing is, um, we do not foresee us charging voice actors to whatever extent for adding their voices on our platform. Uh, and we don't need them to spend much time uh, in order to prepare data sets because speech-to-speech technology does not require a particular script to be recorded. 
And if you're a voice actor uh, and even uh, a podcast host, right, you have plenty of recordings of your voice. So we will just ask some of those recordings. We will train the system on those recordings and we can train it in batch and 20 other voices would be uh, in the same training process so we can allocate resources for training uh, in um, in better way. And then system system is ready, basically. And also, uh, I would mention that we have text-to-speech as a part of our offerings in the voice marketplace. So we found out that our users still ask for text-to-speech for some stuff they need to do on a scale, and text-to-speech is great for scale. So we, we added text-to-speech, and you would be able to use uh, text-to-speech in our system if you try it now. Mm, interesting. That's good. That's, that is good, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, in general, text-to-speech is on the stage uh, of the technology itself where it's uh, it became a commodity, right? So mm. there are plenty of good text-to-speech systems. There are some boutique companies that do some unique things. So there are some text-to-speeches that are designed for advertisement and they're doing great job in, in building this advertisement mood. Uh, but in general, if you want to build a text-to-speech version of your voice, and you have some very basic programming skills, you can do it yourself in a few days because technology became a commodity. Uh, and now uh, the text-to-speech competition is all around products being built on the commoditized technology. Uh, and we, we have some, some very interesting um, intersections with text-to-speech. So first of all, we can generate whatever data sets we need for text-to-speech system, right? We don't need human to go in studio and record complicated data sets. Uh, second of all, if we take any, most of the text-to-speech outputs and apply our technology on top of that, so we, we would treat text-to-speech output just like another speaker in the system, it would improve it. It would make it sound a bit better. Uh, it wouldn't m- make changes to the performance, but the quality would be improved. Uh, and, and that's quite quite exciting opportunity because uh, if you are if you like a particular text to speech, you can use this text to speech and apply respeecher on top of it, and you would make from a vanilla text to speech voices plenty of different um, voices that respeecher can provide and a particular voice you would like to use. Interesting. That is such a good idea. Recording text-to-speech and then putting that resulting speech through respeecher. How does it improve the quality then? Is it improving quality because people can then use it in a lot more flamboyant and kind of like different ways that text-to-speech, like hitting pictures and notes that text-to-speech can't? Or do you do something with the actual processing of the audio? Because I know text-to-speech usually is like a low bit rate. Do you do something that's like fill in the bits and make it sound a bit smoother and stuff like that? Like, in, in what way is it more quality? Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, while we were building this technology, we were crazy about quality. So our goal was to go through pickiest sound engineers in Hollywood studios, right? So all the uh, pieces of our technology were built with this in mind. We wanted the best output quality as possible, no matter what it takes. If we require long training time, if you require ton of, tons of GPUs to train, if you need complicated data sets, it doesn't matter because we wanted to be a first synthetic speech in Hollywood. And now it seems uh, the synthetic speech we can provide is superior to, to many, uh, and most probably it's the best synthetic speech out there. And that means uh, that uh, when we apply our technology on top of other synthetic speech, 
uh, it does have some advantage and it can improve it. Wow, that's wicked. That is really good. Um, so we've we've mentioned about how it how this technology can um, recreate lost voices, like Luke Skywalker and Nixon. Uh, we've mentioned how it can potentially preserve current voices. Like if you're a voice actor in your 30s, your voice is going to be different in your 60s, but you, in your 60s, you can still use your voice from the 30s if you kind of, you know, utilize this platform. Is is there also an accessibility angle here? Is there any accessibility-based use cases that you observe? Like I know people who are maybe either losing their voice or unable to speak or, or I don't know, obviously maybe not given that you take speech as an input, but I'm just wondering whether you've thought about the the accessibility kind of angle and whether there's any use cases around there. Yeah, of course. I mean, we struggled a lot with uh, the complexity of our technology, so it has been always heavy. But once we solved several issues in the end of 2021, uh, we started to explore healthcare markets in uh, in more precise way. And we just recently did some very good experiments where you can take a speech uh, of a person who suffer from a health condition uh, where they can't speak, but their voice is very distorted. And a good example would be a laryngectomy uh, where it does not sound good at all it, it it's 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 very distorted voice but you can take this voice as input into our system and convert it into a voice and it would sound better um we now do a lot of experiments in that field but it has a lot of potential because our very first very initial experiments showed that um in case of say laryngectomy uh, we we can provide a speech that would be uh, almost indistinguishable. So you, you wouldn't notice anything wrong with the voice. Uh, and now we have real-time system. So now we can transform voice almost on the fly with a very small delay. And that means that with a real-time system, you can enable millions of people who suffer from those diseases that distort their voices to be able to communicate better. And that's an amazing use case. Aside of healthcare use cases, we uh, recently explored a few more and got some initial traction. So we made our models to do cross-lingual voice conversion recently. And that means that if we have recordings of say Tom Hanks speaking American English, uh, we can make a Spanish speaker or Ukrainian speaker speak uh, in their language uh, and then apply system to make it sound like Tom Hanks, like it was said from Tom Hanks' vocal apparatus. Mm. And it, would, it wouldn't have accent. It would sound uh, like Tom Hanks being Ukrainian native speaker or Spanish native speaker. And there's an amazing opportunity for dubbing and localization, obviously, in very different fields, not, not, about, not only uh, uh, movies dubbing and localization. Another cool application uh, we we found out is, is very interesting uh, is where where you can apply a real-time system for um, support. So you can make a call center speak in uh, one great voice or you can make a call center speak in a famous voice if you want. Or you can adjust the voice of call center to a client desire. So if you can like to listen to Scarlett Johansson when you call your bank and your bank has an agreement with Scarlett, you, you can listen to them 
uh, all all the time you call, uh, and, <laughs> and and that's quite 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 cool use case. Uh, another thing, um, we found out that uh, in many cases, um, when we talk about high demand voices, uh, it doesn't mean that those high demand voices are professionally trained to be actors or voice actors. I mean soccer celebrity could be a very high demand voice they could could have contract with adidas and they need to produce a lot of content but they're not trained to be in front of microphone they cannot deliver the same level of quality of performance as professional actor can do and technology would allow them to do what they like to do uh, to do sports while professional voice actors would be doing voiceover work for them and the delivery quality would be better even uh, than uh, this uh, type of celebrity uh, would do that themselves. So it's not no. just about scaling. It's also about uh, delivering better results. Interesting. That is really interesting. I mean, the translation thing is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I know you mentioned that it's not just about scaling, but in terms of on the translation front, I mean, if you look at how many, you know, Netflix series now are filmed in, like, you know, Squid Game is a prime example. Imagine having all of the actual actors performing that. Or Tom Hanks does a film, obviously, inevitably, it gets translated into a bunch of different languages all over the world, and it's different voice actors that need to do it. And so there's a little bit of authenticity lost, because you know, it's not Tom Hanks speaking. Whereas this, that could be a, a that could be a kind of like a massive business, just that one use case, you know, translating all of the actual actors into every language that exists is huge, absolutely huge. Um, and then you've got companies like when you were talking there about Scarlett Johansson answering the calls and stuff like that. I was thinking about companies who have pretty prominent personalities, you know, like Virgin and, you know, Amazon before Jeff Bezos left and, you know, Apple when Steve Jobs was there and Mark Zuckerberg, companies that have like product, like prominent uh, people working at the helm, so to speak, being able to utilize their voice in other areas like call centers and stuff like that is, is, uh, is huge. So yeah, I mean, the God, yeah, the, the use cases are absolutely endless. I mean, you don't think of it when you just sort of hear your voice change, you know, there'd be people tuning in at the beginning of this thinking, Oh, that sounds cool. But then you climb actually into it and you think, my God, this can be used absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And that could be a problem for a company like, like ours, because <laughs> when our biz dev team starts to talk to the studio, we haven't spoken before to a client, we never spoken before. There is a list of use cases and it's often hard for a client to decide what use case we start with because uh, many of them are, are so compelling. Mm, yeah. I bet the paradox of choice a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That is wicked. Is there a, is there a kind of ethics side to this? I'm sure there is. I, I mean, potentially you've, I mean, you've covered some of that with the voice actors and stuff like that, where, you know, making sure that they get ad adequately paid, making sure that there's no kind of foul play in terms of, you know, using voices in adverts for cigarettes and stuff like that. Is there any other kind of like, I, I, I'm conscious of AI ethics and I've been you know, doing a bit of research and stuff like that lately, but I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in that kind of field. But is there any other kind of ethical considerations that you've had to take into account while building this? A whole this? bunch oh, of them. Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning of free speech, we had to, we, we had to build a strong ethics policy 
And this ethics policy starts with permission. So the first thing uh, our team would ask uh, when someone requests uh, a project, whether they have permission or going to obtain the permission for a particular voice they're going to use. Uh, and if they're not, uh, there is no go because permission should be in place and we require a copy of a permission because it indicates that agreement with voice owner who owns the AP, who owns the right for rights for their voice and uh, content maker has been made. And uh, that means that uh, it's fair and their IP rights are not being violated. Um, but I mean, uh, that's that just protects our technology from being misused, right? And there are um, many other technologies similar to ours and uh, technology like ours on the current stage in a year or two would, would inevitably fall in wrong hands because technologies are used to become a commodity. Uh, therefore, there, there is a lot of work we do um, in terms of, uh, in the scope of our ethics statement um, that are designed around bring awareness about the technologies. I mean, in general, the technology of synthetic speech does not go anywhere, right? So it, it would still be, be, be there no matter what we think about that. And it would be used for bad purposes. And that means that uh, we should bring education to a general public that synthetic speech uh, could be used in the content they are consuming. Um, and piece of Nixon uh, in event of moon disaster uh, was done with that exa exact goal. So the goal was to show that technologies can reshape our history. And it was show, uh, shown in a very compel, uh, compelling way uh, because Nixon looked like Nixon. He sounded like Nixon, but he said what Nixon never said, right? Uh, and this education piece is, bring awareness piece is uh, one of the most important actions we have to perform as developers of the technology. Also, Respeacher is a part of several communities that are grouped around ethics. Um, and there, industry leaders, uh, different studios, content makers uh, from, from very various industries, not, not obligatory content making industries, are being grouped together to build right frameworks of applying synthetic media technologies and synthetic species in particular. And we play quite active part in those groups. Uh, another thing we work on, uh, we work on watermarking our audio. That means that you would be able to tell the speecher generated audio from any other audio. And it would again protect only the speecher piece, uh, only what the speecher has been developed but uh, it, it still would add to the protection. And one great initiative we are launching with one of our corporate partners, we would announce that soon, would be uh, launching quite a big project on synthetic speech detection. So Respeacher would provide uh, our data sets of very high quality synthetic speech and competitors, uh, best brains all around the world on Kegel platform would try to build uh, the detector that would be able to detect synthesized speech like ours. And that would mean that uh, such kind of detector uh, would be in open source and it could be used uh, and we would encourage uh, big platforms to use it like Facebook, YouTube, 
all those who might have synthesized content, deepfake content on their platforms uh, should do took proactive um, actions in order to mark that content. And for that, we need technology and uh, it, it would be built soon. Mm, interesting. Wow. Well, yes, you, you, you have considered it then. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff in there, which is, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. I think it's, yeah, as, as the people have heard at the beginning of this uh, episode, it, it, it sounds fantastic. Um, it really does. And I think that the ability to be able to make and generate speech based on an actual voice, I think is, is wicked, you know, and as we've seen, the use cases are endless. Um, the quality is decent and yeah, it's fantastic. I, I think it's a really good idea. Thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it, especially given the current situation. I really appreciate your time, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And I would say it again, close the sky about Ukraine. I agree. I agree. And please do share this uh, for those of you tuning in um, and do visit com as well uh, underneath there. We'll put that there um, for those of you tuning on, on, on the podcast. Yeah, I, I concur. As we said at the top, I, I absolutely concur. And for the more people that can share this and, and get that message out uh, and the more support that we can give, then the better. Uh, so do, do stay safe. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me.